you have your copy of God's Word, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the passage we're going to read tonight is the end, verses 6 to 15. But really, we're going to be sampling from both chapters 8 and chapters 9 of 2 Corinthians, and I'll explain why as we get into the passage. But we come tonight uh, to another of these spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. Uh, We have been pursuing this theme of, of training for godliness through the fall and looking at particular disciplines or particular spiritual practices, whether it's corporate worship, whether it's singing, reading our Bibles, meditating upon our Bibles, last week prayer, Properly, we should be going on to fasting, um, but we had to have a little schedule flip-flop. So tonight, we're going to look at generosity, and then next week on the 15th, Stephen Felker will be looking at the spiritual practice of fasting uh, as we continue our way through this. But tonight, we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15. Before we read this passage together, though, let us pray. Father, we bless you that you continue to speak your word to us. Just as we've asked, we've sung, speak, O Lord. Let us hear your truth. Let us hear your voice in and through Holy Scripture. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and that you would open our eyes of faith this evening so that we might see great riches in this portion of your gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. From their earliest days, Christians have have demonstrated generosity, especially in connection with the weekly Christian worship service. For example, Justin Martyr, who was a second century apologist, wrote in around 145, or about 50 years after the Apostle John passed away, he wrote these words. He said, And they who are well-to-do and willing, give what each thinks fit. 
And what is collected is deposited with the president, that is the one who's overseeing the congregation, who suckers the orphans and widows and those who through sickness or any other cause are in want. And those who are in bonds and the strangers sojourning among us and in a word takes care of all who are in need. Undoubtedly, this pattern that was present from the earliest days of the church of, of generosity and particularly of, of giving financial resources, it, it finds its pattern, its rootedness here in, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Certainly, according to these passages, when, when Christians meet, they, they give. They demonstrate generosity, and especially they demonstrate generosity by, by giving money that would be used to care for others. What, what's striking in our own day is that increasingly when people think about generosity, many tend not to think in financial terms. Many, many Christians tend not to think in terms of giving money. Recently, the magazine Common Good reported on a, a study that had been commissioned by two organizations, two Christian organizations, Thrivent and Barna. Uh, and they were studying generosity and giving. Uh, this study grouped five different ways in which we express generosity under two major headings. So under the heading of, of the giving of things, the study linked together giving financially or giving gifts or resources such as food and clothing. Under the heading of, of giving of oneself, um, there was topics such as being hospitable, being emotionally supportive, and, and volunteering time. And there were, there were two things, at least to me, that were striking in reading about the study. Uh, one thing that was striking was the generational differences in the ways of giving things and giving of ourselves were prioritized. While, while 52% of, of baby boomers saw generosity as directly tied to the giving of things, only 31% of Gen Z, the youngest adult generation, actually sees generosity in that way. And only 13% of Gen Z respondents saw financial giving as necessary for displaying generosity. Conversely, no more than 18% of baby boomers saw the topics of giving of self as, as marking generosity, whereas 28% of Gen Z respondents saw being emotionally supportive as generosity, and 22% saw hospitality as a form of generosity. And so there's a, a pretty significant generational divide from the oldest generation to the youngest generation, and the rest of us are in between, Gen Xers like me, millennials like many of you, we're, we're in between those, those variants. But a, a significant generational difference when it comes to how we understand generosity but the, but the second thing that was striking about the study was this. Pastors, which if you haven't heard, I'm one of them. Um, we far more frequently associate giving money with generosity than anything else. And in fact, in the pastors that were surveyed, over 38% of them saw generosity solely in terms of giving money which was far higher than any other generational group if you were to break them out in generations. And yet, pastors as a group confessed in the survey that we actually do a pretty poor job talking about generosity. 
and developing the discipline or the practice of generosity among our congregants. The study was fascinating. But, but in the light of that study and, and in the light of these scriptures, I, I think here's what we need to say. The Bible talks about generosity as both the giving of ourselves and as the giving of things. It spoke, speaks in terms of both of these. And so not coincidentally, through this series, we're going to be talking about both of them. Tonight, I'm going to talk about generosity, particularly in, in financial terms, in the giving of money and the giving of things such as food and clothing to others. Later in our series this fall, we'll be talking about the, the giving of self and the spiritual disciplines of, of service, of hospitality, and community. This passage before us particularly speaks in terms of generosity as a financial giving. The, the section that we just read, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 15, is actually at the end of a long section that began back in chapter 8, verse 1. Paul is making an appeal to the Corinthians for a financial gift. And in fact, he's been at work on a, on a financial collection for First Presbyterian Church Jerusalem, which was experiencing all sorts of effects from a, a massive famine that had been going on in Palestine. And so the Presbyterian churches in the region of Greece, and, and yes, I'm saying that intentionally because they were connectional, hence Presbyterian, the Presbyterian churches in the region of Greece called Achaia, where the Corinthian church was, they had agreed to raise funds. In fact, they were among the first to volunteer to give their money for this cause. The news of their, of their giving was so significant that the Presbyterian churches in Macedonia, they wanted to get in on it too. And so they gave what Paul calls in chapter 8 a remarkable financial gift. They, they, they gave, he said, out of their poverty because they were so excited to, to participate and to respond to God's grace to them and this opportunity to care for their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And so in this passage in these two chapters, chapter 8 and 9, Paul is urging the Corinthians to come through, to come through with the finances that they promised. And as he does this, as he appeals to their generosity, I think he actually points us in the direction of how we should think about the spiritual practice or the spiritual discipline of generosity, especially in terms of giving financial resources and other things like food and clothing to others. I have three propositional statements tonight that hopefully will give us some structure for thinking about generosity. And the first is this. Generosity is always a response to God's grace. Generosity is always a response to God's grace. If you were actually to look back at the beginning of this section, back in chapter 8, verse 1, what you'll find is Paul saying this, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So Paul speaks from the very get-go about this financial collection in terms of grace. And then in chapter 8, verse 7, he says, but since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and the love we have enkindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And so Paul wants them to know about grace 
He wants them to know about this grace or this virtuous practice of giving. And so we're, we're in this realm of undeserved favor producing this virtuous practice. But what's the motivation for, for giving? What's the motivation for this grace that Paul is inculcating in them? Well, chapter 8, verse 8, I am not commanding you. But I wanted to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. In other words, when we want to see what grace looks like, above all, we look at Jesus. And what we see when we look at Jesus is this one who was rich beyond all measure. And yet he was willing to become poor so that we who were poor might be made rich in him, might have our our lives transformed and changed with the riches of God's grace. And what Paul is saying to us is as our hearts are captured by this grace that God has shown to us in Jesus Christ, that grace will, will cause us to respond with the grace of giving. Giving our hearts and lives, to be sure, but also giving our money. In fact, while we might feel motivated to give because someone commands us or someone compels us through some kind of emotional appeal or some kind of guilt manipulation, really the only way to sustain a lifelong practice of generosity is as we live out of a response to the generosity that God has already shown to us in Jesus Christ, this one who was rich, who became poor so that we might become rich in him. My friend Kelly Capick, who you all got to meet back in August, he he made this same point many years ago now when he observed that all our generosity is always in response to God's generosity towards us. Right at the heart of the gospel is God so loved the world, he gave. God gives. Why? Because because of his great love for us. He gives what? His priceless son, the Lord of glory, the creator of all. He gives to what end? So that you and I who deserve everlasting death might in fact know everlasting life. Don't you see? At the very heart of the gospel is divine generosity. And because God has given such a generous gift in Jesus Christ, shouldn't we respond to his grace through the grace of giving, the practice of giving, demonstrating generosity, a similar kind of generosity towards God and others? Generosity is always a response to God's grace. But second, Generosity springs from a confidence in God's supply. The section that we read together, Paul makes that very point. Look again at chapter 9, verse 6. Paul says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 
as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I think part of the reason why we struggle with generosity, especially in terms of financial giving, is we view it as a zero-sum game. If I give this money, this, this financial gift, however large it is, then I will have less, and someone else, the one to whom I've given the gift, whether our church or whether an organization or whether some ministry, will have more. But there's only a, a, a limited amount, the amount that I have. It's a scarcity mentality. as though that this is all that there is. But, but Paul wants us to see that no, giving doesn't spring out of a zero-sum game. And in fact, we should not have a scarcity men uh, mentality. What he says to us quite clearly in verses 6 to 11 is you cannot outgive God. It will always be surprising to you how God's generosity towards you will far outstrip your own giving. And Paul reinforces an abundance mentality in verse 8 when he says to us that God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every, or better, all good works. It's the panta every time, the Greek word for all here. It's over and over and over again. Paul wants to reassure you that you cannot outgive God. But let's be honest tonight. I mean, the big reason why we, we don't give our finances away in, in any significant amount, much less a tithe or 10% of our income, is, is because we're afraid. We're afraid that this is, in fact, a zero-sum game, that, that resources are, in fact, scarce, that we may not be able to make ends meet, or that things might be a little tight for us, or we may not be able to do what we want to do with our money. C.S. Lewis put his finger on just this point in his Mere Christianity. This is a, a little bit lengthy quote, but, but I think it's extremely helpful. Lewis said this. He said, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditures on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do, because our charity's expenditure excludes them. I'm speaking now of charities in the common way. Particular cases of distress among your own relatives, friends, neighbors, or employees, which God, as it were, forces upon your notice, may demand much more, even to the crippling and endangering of your own position. For many of us, the great obstacle to charity lies not in our luxurious living or desire for more money, but in our fear, fear of insecurity, this must be recognized, he says, as a temptation. It is a temptation. But for those who know the unreserved 
prodigal, wasteful grace of God in Jesus Christ. This one who was rich, who became poor for our sakes. This one who did not grasp power or glory, but let it go so that he might become a slave and become obedient even to death. For us, we respond to God's grace by giving ourselves away and then giving our things away too. And especially for us Presbyterians, John Calvin had this kind of motto or logo, we might call it. It didn't quite look like the crests of England uh, or, or other kinds of, of seals that were, that were used among European families. Now, Calvin's lo- mark or logo or, or motto was actually pretty unusual. It, it pictured a hand outstretched with a heart on it. And the heart was on fire, it looked like. And over this outstretched hand with the burning heart, the words, I give myself to you, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. Why would Calvin adopt that as his motto? Well, it's because he knew and learned and taught that we are not our own. We are God's. We belong to him. And if all that I am and all that I have is actually God's and not mine, then the only proper response to this God who's shown such grace to you and me is to offer our very selves, our hearts to him promptly in sincerity because we've known such grace. And because Paul tells us we've been given Jesus and with him all things, shouldn't we then freely, graciously give away in generosity, confident of God's supply? But there's one last thing Paul says here. Certainly, he tells us that generosity is always in response to God's grace. Generosity is confident of God's supply. But, but finally tonight, he says that generosity is a joyful service to God and others. Um, Several times Paul makes this point in these two chapters. For example, chapter 8, verse 4, Paul says, "Um, entirely on their own, they urgently plead with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations, the Macedonians. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. Again, chapter 9, verse 1. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people. Again, chapter 9, verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. So over and again, Paul tells us that generosity is service. In fact, the the phrases both in chapter 8, verse 4, and chapter 9, verse 1, service to the Lord's people, um, actually has the idea literally of, of service to the saints. And that word service is the word diakonos. It's the Greek word from which we get our word deacon. In other words, what Paul is telling us is that this spiritual practice of generosity is actually the same kind of service 
that deacons offer. It's a deaconing, if you will, a giving away, a, a serving, but to whom? Well, well, it's a form of service to the Lord. We, we give ourselves first away to the Lord. We offer our hearts to the Lord promptly and sincerely. We offer ourselves all that we have, all that we are to the Lord, and then we offer to others. We say to the Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And so, because we say that, we say, take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. And you see this in this passage. We, we give ourselves away financially, Paul says, supplying the financial needs of the Lord's people, your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And if we see generosity in this life, then, then our generosity can't help but be what? Well, it can't help but be joyful. Paul famously says God loves a cheerful giver, a, a hilarious giver. The word hilarity is embedded in that word in the original language. But this kind of joy, this kind of cheerfulness in giving, it, it's not something that we drum up. No, that's, that's the holy affection that arises when we come to see reality as it actually is, that we were spiritually impoverished, that we were rebels, ungodly, sinners, that we didn't deserve a single blessed thing from God beyond eternal judicial wrath. But, but God, out of his great mercy, out of his steadfast love, out of the overflow of his holy generosity, he gave. He gave the greatest possible treasure that he could give, his one and only son, this one who was rich beyond all measure for our sakes became poor. And why? So that you and I might through his poverty become rich. And so what should be the holy affection that responds to this gospel? Love and joy. And this love and joy then leads us to give ourselves away to God and to others, to serve and to support, to show hospitality, to offer emotional support. Oh yes, all true but also to open our wallets, to strategize over our resources so that we might give them away to God and his people with great joy and cheerfulness. That's what happens when we respond to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. There was a man in the, in the Bible's stories who had heard of Jesus, wanted to see him, hear his message, but he had a number of problems. He was a social pariah, an outcast, rightly so, because he had been stealing from his family members and his cousins and his fellow townspeople for years because of his position. But the other problem was, was that he was a little bit shorter than everyone else. And so as Jesus was coming to his town, he ran out to find the highest place he could find in order to, to see Jesus and to hear his message course, he ends up in a sycamore tree. As Jesus passes by, preaching and teaching, he looks up in the tree, and of course, he sees Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I have to eat at your house today. And there before everyone, having heard the grace of God in Jesus Christ, having received Jesus' own generosity to him, what does Zacchaeus say? Half of what I have, I give to the poor. And if I've cheated any of you, I'll give you four times in return. How could this man 
who, who had been stealing for years a clear, profound love for money and fear that he would not have enough, how would it be that he would give away half of what he has and remuneriate far beyond what he needed to do? It's because Jesus came to town. And Jesus changed his heart. And Jesus took this one who was spiritually impoverished and said, you are a true son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save you. Lost people like you. But friends, we're all Zacchaeus. We are all in his place. We've all known divine generosity. Shouldn't we respond in the same way? with generosity because of the grace of God we've been shown in Jesus Christ? Would you pray, please? Lord, this is impossible for us. We want to cling with tight hands to what we think is ours. But in Christ alone, in whose hope we are resting, we, we come to realize your generosity towards us and the generosity you call us to display towards one another. Lord, you so loved us that you gave. Lord, may we so love you in return to give ourselves clear away to you and to one another, both in our time, in our hospitality, but also in our financial resources. Lord, grant us such grace we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond and sing praise to the Lord. Thank <laughs> you.